Physics Teaching Podcast, a podcast for teachers of physics, made by physics teachers. Physics teachers like me, Robin Griffiths, a full-time teacher of physics all the way through from year 8 to year 13. And physics teachers like me, Thomas WP, a part-time, A-level mostly, teacher of physics. And we're joined today by a special guest, Mark Robinson. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Hi. Uh, so I, I'm a teacher of physics. I've been full-time, currently doing part-time, but the thing which occupies me now is building my marking machine, an AI marking teaching platform. So you contacted us as a result of the literacy episode. Um, and so we're going to come back and talk to that. But before we do that, I just wanted to give a couple of shout-outs, Robin. That's the term, isn't it, on a radio show? Shout-out. As, as I recall. <laughs> So firstly, I just want to thank John Hudson, who we had on the podcast. He does those amazing interactives where he creates something in PowerPoint with hotspots and saves it to PDF. He sent me a list of uh, interactives he'd done for GCSE Year 9 and A-Level. I'll just read the title and people can find them in the show notes. There's Naked Eye Astronomy for Beginners for Year 9 Plus. Sounds interesting. Young Modulus. That sounds like my sort of thing for A-Level radioactivity energy and electricity for GCSE so that's three more so they are if they're anything like the first interactive I saw which is so simple to create but so useful that they'll be great yeah it's another another hero doing great things for the community thank you so much so thank you John I also wanted to give a shout out to Graham Thompson who sent us a really lovely email which is very encouraging and has given us some ideas for some new podcasts he says he'd love us to do more episodes like the literacy, but looking at the, the buzzwords that we have to deal with. So he's thinking like numeracy or project-based learning or learner-led anything. So I think there's a lot of buzzwords out there that we meet in education that mean different things to different people. What do you think about doing a few episodes on those, Robin? I think it's a great idea. I mean, to be honest, this is one of the things. It's, it's a real, it's, it's a, a tension, isn't it, between school cpd and the individual subjects because the school wants to promote something that everybody can get behind but in so doing they have to make it very abstracted from everyday life in the classroom for each individual subject so for example as we saw a couple of weeks back literacy looks very different in physics to what it looks like in english or what it looks like in maths or what it looks like in french or any of the other subjects so it's this different tension that you have to get these uh, sort of buzzwords, as, as Graham said, you know, like, like, you know, what does numeracy mean to us in physics? Well, it's a big part of physics, isn't it? Probably much less so to a French teacher, probably quite a big thing for a tech teacher and, and exploring all of these things. So, yes, we, we could look at these from a physics point of view. It would definitely be within the remit, wouldn't it? Yeah, so if there's a buzzword that you feel you would like to come and share your expertise with, like at Helpful Science, Carol Kenrick, who gave us all that fantastic advice on the literacy episode, and I would say that's had a lot of positive feedback, so if you've missed that, go back and listen to that. It's also had more listens than most of our episodes. But if you have something to share, please contact us. You can email us, can't you, Robin? Contact at thephysicsteachingpodcast.com. You can catch us on Twitter at physicstp. And that's the way that most people contact us. But there is a contact form on every page of the website, the.physicsteachingpodcast.com. So over to Mark. We have two things to talk about. Firstly, when we were talking offline, you were telling us about how you teach longer answer questions at GCSE rather than at A-level. And you feel you have a good methodology there. 
backed up by evidence, I will will say, because you, you've looked at the exam results and seen that that's something that your classes do better at than average. But also this amazing website, My Marking Machine, which uh, I'm very interested in as a bit of a geek. So the first of those that we want to look at tonight is the answering questions. And this is just confirmed for me, Mark, this is for before A-level, so the younger kids. Yes. So studying GCSE, because that's where the, the longer questions come in, helping them with those explain questions, like three or four marks. Obviously, you've got descriptions, which can be long and kind of rote learn, but there's many of those questions which are application-based, and pupils often struggle, A, because uh, they can't rote learn it, and it's unrecognised, and it's scary to have these four points which they don't know what to do with. Okay, so what is your approach? It sounds like you have quite a a solid methodology. Yes, so there are slightly different methodologies for different questions, but to give you an idea of the kind of thinking, we're all familiar with teaching a certain way of uh, teaching pupils to answer numerical questions. As physics teachers, we've all experienced Uh, pupils that say they struggle with numerical questions but when you teach them in certain ways for example FIFA or other things it's possible to get pupils that would otherwise struggle to do really well and that's partly because we've made it really clear what they need to look for and what they do next and part of that's algorithmic and formulaic and part of it is really thinking like a physicist and I, I don't think those need to contradict so I'm just mentioning thinking like a physicist because it's relevant to uh, my pedagogy. I aim for people to understand, not rote learn, and and you'll see that uh, through this. For me, uh, thinking like a physicist means thinking in terms of physical quantities and links. Um, It's also been said to mean patterns and reducing things. With the numerical questions, we teach pupils to recognise physical quantities and then follow this process. There are harder ones with your multi-step, but we still need the basics that we teach them. With explanation questions, a particular category, which I'd start with, and maybe this is all we'll have time for, is the explanation questions that are based on those basic equations, the sort of three part, three physical quantity equations. And they can crop up in electricity, in forces, or you're all over the place. And for pupils, they see the new novel situation and go, oh, I don't know how to answer this. I've not learned it. Yeah, that is, you've never taught me about hot air balloons. So I cannot answer that question about falling. (laughs) 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 Yeah, so it it happens. And occasionally it even happens that I think, oh, I've not learned how to answer that. Um, (laughs) And what I found, there's a pattern to them. And it essentially is, there are two different situations and it could be two simultaneous ones or a before and an after. And to them, there will be a physical quantity that's different. Some physical quantities that are the same and then some outcome they're asked about, which would also relate to a physical quantity. And so what I would teach pupils to structure their answer as is think of the independent variable, the thing that's different, and then I'll get on to the sentence structures in a moment. Think of the control variables, the things that's the same between the two. And we're talking about physical quantities here. Think of 
the dependent variable that might affect the thing that we're asked about. So often it will be, is someone in danger? And it, you, you're usually looking at pressure. It could be also be force. And then think of the link. And so the, the five steps are independent variable, control variable, dependent variable, link, and conclusion. And so I get, pupils write this down on the side of the paper, IV, DV, CV, link, conclusion, or conc. Um, and it's easy for them to see where those points are. And some people will say, it's a three-mark explanation question. Give three points. I strongly disagree with that because a top explanation, there is a logical, complete explanation to answer these questions, and they're normally five points. And your top pupils will go, shouldn't we also say this? And often the mark schemes will say any three of these four, and those four seem to be a roughly random selection of the five that would make a complete answer. So if you gave three good points, you might still only get two marks because one of those might have been the one which was considered not relevant for whatever reason. Yeah. So you're saying IV, CV, DV, link, conk. And conk, yeah. It's a really nice way of, of, of deconstructing it. I do like it. And I think you're right because, I mean, I'm guilty of this, the three marks, three things, because I tend to frame it from the point of view of, you know, the, the, the awful answer you get to the question where it says, you know, explain the link between um, the, the size of the snowshoe uh, and, and you know, the, the force of, of the weight on the, the person or whatever it is. And they write pressure equals force over area or something and that's all they do and you you think no because you kind of you kind of you clearly understand it but you've written one thing one thing and it's so i say you have to do at least three things and so you get drawn into it that way and then you're kind of trapped yeah. in that 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 hell of saying that for the rest of the time but you're absolutely right you, you what you should say the perfect answer the, the the gold standard is these five points here it's nice so i i have a question i mean i, I like solid examples so are you saying they would say what the independent variable is say what the control variable is, say how the dependent variable would change based on those. I, mean, I, I, I think I need help in how they would structure the answer. Yeah, so, so let's, let's do a solid example. And I, I said I would talk about the language as well. So one thing is to know what the point should be. Another, which is a huge thing I'm big on, is explicitly teaching pupils how they should say them. So what is the sentence structure they're effectively selecting from? So we take this snowshoe example. Let's say... Uh, two people, there's two shoes, same person wearing one on each foot or, or whatever, the snowshoe and the stiletto. Which one is going to be more effective for walking on the snow and why? Or why is the snowshoe more effective? When they write Ivy, that's just a shorthand way of saying it's the thing that's changed between the two. And I, so I, I'd model this. What is it that's actually changed? What independent variable can you see is different about these? And fundamentally, they need to think it's the surface area. And that's the first part. And notice that's the same first part as it is for the numerical questions. With the numerical questions, the step one is find the independent, find the, the variables, the physical quantities. Uh, and the, so they don't just need to find it. They can't just say surface area. It's always the surface area of this is larger than that, or the surface area has increased. And you'll see it in other questions. So there's, those are basically the two forms that it can take. And then there will be something which is constant. And in this example, they would say the weight is constant or the force is constant. And then they will say something like this. So they could then quote their equation. It depends exactly where, where, where they spot the link here. 
whether they go back to front or front to back yeah. uh, or, or from either side. But if they link it, if they write it down the side, they can kind of pick them off in any order. So they'll look at link, they'll write the equation, and then they'll think with the dependent variable, what is it that's changed? Or that might come before the link. What is it that's being affected here? We're talking about them falling through the snow. What affects them falling through the snow? It's pressure. So that might be the, what they'd actually come to first. What, you know, what is it that's affecting where they fall through the snow? It's pressure. What is it that links these three variables? It's, it's these. And then, um, so you would say, your statements would be, surface area is larger for this one. The weight is constant. The link is pressure equals force over area. Therefore, the pressure would be higher for the stiletto or would be lower for the blah blah And it's always important to tell them to say for what, never just to say this is, pressure is higher because we don't know what they're talking about. And then to say, therefore, this would happen. That's your conclusion. I like it. It's a nice way of, of breaking down certain types of questions. It's, I mean, it's, it sounds great. It's not, it's, I, can, I can see in my mind a whole series of questions that this works for. What about something where you, you're, I mean, we've got a six-mark question where they've done something a little cute, like, um, I don't know, asked you to compare or evaluate nuclear power stations or something as a source of energy or something like that. Can you, can you apply it in that sort of situation? So there are certain types of questions which to me seem more knowledge-based. And those are ones where pupils can get away with a mixture of rote learning and actually understanding what they're writing about. So I think the one that you have given would be more knowledge-based. Now, I did find, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I did find a way of kind of categorizing that sort of evaluation for nuclear waste. So they can think of a few keywords. Oh, I need to think about cost. I need to think about time, this kind of thing. But another classic example would be the life cycle of a star. That's not thinking skills. That's rote learn this explanation and, and whack it down. And yes, hopefully you teach you know, the understanding as part of that. And that prompts them fill in, to fill in the gaps. But there are many explanation questions which don't fit this numerical thing quite so neatly. For example, electrostatics is a big category. And there is a separate mode of thinking for that, which would follow something along the lines of where are the free electrons? What distribution of electrons are there? What distribution of charges are there? Therefore, what forces are there on the electrons? Therefore, where do they move from and to? How does that then affect the charges? How does that then affect the forces? How does that then affect motion? And all of the electrostatic questions can be answered with that. Mm. And so sometimes we like to teach electrostatics applications or other applications, application by application. Whereas I teach it skill by skill. So they need to learn to identify this step. And then we look at all the applications and go, oh, what are the initial charges? You know, what? And, and then it's so they can see the pattern. It's exactly the same with radioactivity. To the pupils, they often seem like this bewildering array of different things they have to know. When uh, realistically, they're just comparing half-life penetration and ionization and so if they learn the principle that higher ionization means kills stuff lower ionization means kills less stuff and then they learn to go is this application killing stuff or not killing stuff and then they can decide and that ability to just go all right i've got an application question i'm going to think ionization power i'm trying to kill stuff i want high ionization power okay and then penetration 
it's important they, the, the thinking that they need to get is the radiation needs to penetrate from somewhere to somewhere. And the thinking like a physicist is you've got to think, where does it come from and where does it need to go? Now, what does it have to get through? That tells me what penetration I need. And so that's then taught as a skill on its own penetration as opposed to let's do all three for this application, all three for the next one. Yeah. So this, this sounds really good because it, it is, you know, people often complain and I was just doing it today so I know uh, the, the, the physics curriculum is too packed, it's too crowded, it's got too much stuff in it. And I think your argument here is you're saying, well, actually, that might not quite be the case, because if you teach the skills of thinking like a physicist and those core principles of thinking and take the hit early on to get them thinking like a physicist and thinking about static in that way and thinking about the knock on effects and thinking about step by step deconstructing the, the, the processes that go on, you'll get a win. And I'm, I'm starting to see that electricity would be a lot current electricity would be a lot better for this treatment because that's typically one where you know they, they build up these things voltage does this current does this resistance does this and they always get tripped up by any question that does something a little bit yeah. cute with any of those three quantities yeah yeah hmm. uh, ele electricity is another um is a similar style to convection where it's almost a high it's an in-between place between that really basic um, IV, DV, CV thing we talked about and the knowledge. Um, so when I teach um, that, let's, so let's take electricity, for example, at the very beginning, I'll teach them a huge explanation with like 10 marks in, which will be, uh, we start with high voltage, which links by V equals IR to what? Yeah, current increases which then causes, and then we talk about the explanation of the lattice electrons and the temperature, and we'll plot this out on, on the board and show this explanation. And then I'll go, here's one exam question. Which bit does it apply to? And they learn the idea that there's a very finite amount of knowledge, and their job is to work out which bits are relevant. And rather than what could be 100 electricity questions, you've got one 10-mark question, and they're just learning which bits they need. I love that model of it, that electricity is this knowledge and this is how it's connected, almost like a mind map. And then any question mm. can be plugged in to that mind map. That's great. Yeah. And with, with each bit, you give them a short statement, which is how they would literally write it. So they know I need those points. This is how I write these points. Yeah, and that goes back to Carol's point about modelling. You know, you have to model this stuff. You have to, you know, if you want them to do this stuff, you have to lead them through examples. You have to teach it like any other skill. Excellent. Now, I really want to talk about my marking machine, but I'm going to do an, a, a throwback now, an interlude of physics in the news, because there was something that really tickled me this week. So I'm going to put that in. It's like an ad break, Robin. Did you see the floating oil tanker of Cornwall this week? That was nice, wasn't it? It was lovely. I'd love, I just love thinking about what the light's doing to make that tanker seem to float above the ocean. We'll put a link in the show notes. If you haven't seen it, just go and look up Hovering Ship Cornwall. It's brilliant. Inversion, Robin, inversion. Uh, the, yeah, the, temperature inversion. Yeah, it was yeah. lovely, actually, because I'd, I'd literally just been doing with my year 11s. We, we'd done... Um, refraction of sound and what, why sound carries over water that old uh, which is a terrible way of putting it but it's it's the old um 
sort of truism that sound carries over water and also that you can your your hearing gets better at night is another one that people used to come up with and it's all nonsense basically just the physics of, of refraction of sound in the atmosphere and this this was a lovely similar in, in, example of of weird refraction of light basically due to temperature inversion yeah absolutely brilliant so brilliant for a podcast that just imagine a floating ship absolutely well, it, and it, the thing is, I, I had I googled obviously I, I nerded up on it, and I'm I'm actually Mark's nodding as well, so I'm sure I'm sure you did as well. But that basically looking at this, and and I thought, oh, and I went and googled this phenomenon because I'd never actually seen it before, uh, and that was a phenomenal example of it because they had other examples of it that didn't look anywhere near as impressive as that one. That was quite something. Yeah, I think it has to be reflecting the sky off the sea in front of the boat as well to make it all seem to work. Ah, oh, just great fun. Um, Great fun. So that here endeth the interlude. Okay, so the next thing I'm going to talk about is the amazing mymarkingmachine.com. So I had a, a, a solid play with this in preparation for the podcast, did my homework. Uh, it is extraordinary. So I was looking at uh, questions for A-level waves, and there would be a question like, what does amplitude mean? And I'd type my little answer, and it would go, pretty good, but have you thought about this? And then it... it, it kept pushing me into a very good strong answer and it was very i'm quite competitive i'm thinking i'm going to get the next one bang on i now know what it's looking for and it just nudges you politely and carefully into giving the right the right most right answer and i felt that my perfect answers in my own head were a bit sloppy it made me be more precise with my language excellent and i really just blown away by the just the coding behind that for one thing as a geek i mean i take my metaphorical hat off to you but also the idea such a clever idea so mark congratulations that's that that's great to hear um yeah so it's it's taken two years um of pretty much full-time research and coding and it's a mixture of things so one of the things is actually the code to make it work. You know, how does the AI work and this sort of thing. Another part of it has been a lot of research. So it's interesting what you said about you know, thinking that you, you have a good definition and then you have a go on it and you go, oh, actually, I, I could have improved. And you're not the first to say that, nor the, nor the first to comment on how polite it is, which wasn't, you know, <laughs> It wasn't something I was initially planning, but yeah, obviously kids do like that to being told, oh yeah, you're partway there, but if you could just improve this, it's better than wrong. <laughs> um, so yeah, so there's a there's a lot of research I did where I thought, okay, well, if, if I'm going to get this to mark amplitude, I need to be damn sure that I know what amplitude is. So I, I looked up about 12 different definitions from reliable sources and tried to work out exactly what it meant. And then if a normal mark scheme, you can just write, this is what it means, and bolden a couple of words. Um, but if you have to get it to be able to tell between the, let's say, 10,000-ish right possible answers someone could put, and then all the similar ones, and then tell where they're wrong so you can give them a helpful hint, it, it does take some time. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm imagining that behind each question, and there were a lot of questions there, there is some sort of... I don't know, some sort of database of how you might respond to different sentences? Or is it true AI and that you just do one question and then the next, when you come along to do, I don't know, uh, electromagnetism, 
you just be able to tell it a few keywords and it will it will mark that perfectly uh between the two it is it's a bit of both so if i the first question on a topic does take a long time because it doesn't know any of the vocabulary or the key meanings it is the algorithm for it i came up with based on how the metacognition of my brain when i'm marking i was like oh i, I think i know what i'm doing and then i formalized it and did that and so it like when you read a mark scheme and you go that i know some alternatives to that word like synonyms would be the most basic example you know what's a synonym but i have to tell the tool this is a synonym and sometimes this is a synonym in this case but not in this case um and then also there's kind of common mistakes that kids make if they spell it wrong sometimes we don't care but sometimes if you ask them to say what the opposite of a compression is in a longitudinal wave and they say refraction you've got to go no i know that's kind of close but you're not you're not right there in terms of finding the different options, it's, it's partly been experience and partly as users use it, I manually review basically all the answers, the hundreds of answers, and check that it's marking it correctly, check that the feedback's what I would give as a person if I was tutoring them. Um, and if it's not, then up, updating it. You were very kind actually to describe, uh, I think we must have, and it must have been getting on for about two years ago, it must have been very close to the start of the project because we met you um, and we were actually in a room with lots of people in like close proximity together, which goes to show how long it was now. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's got to be at least two years, isn't it? Anyway, but it was back at uh, when we went to Dulwich, which was a while ago now. Uh, and you sort of said, oh, well, you know, um, you, you're getting it up and running at that stage. I'm wondering, where's it at now? Are you ready for people to go to find it, to sign up, to have a go, to use it? Absolutely, uh, yes. Um, so just this, or just last month, I because obviously the, the marking takes some processing power. Mm. Um, and in December, I was at my limit. I had um, maybe 400 users and I could handle about three classes using it at once. Or beyond that, it's st they start getting response rate uh, slowly. So for you listeners, um, what happens is a pupil puts an answer in and they immediately get feedback, which will give them some guidance. It's not an answer. It's not, yes, you got it right. Or here's the right answer. You got it wrong. It is, this is what you need to think about. So that happens immediately, but takes time to process. So this month in January, um, I've been upgrading it so that it can handle up to around 10,000 users. And I'm nowhere near that at the moment. So I'm really keen for teachers to use it and uh, to give feedback on it. So it is new. It is just me. Uh, I am hoping it's helpful to teachers. It's completely free. So just let me know what could be different. And it could be a question's wrong or it could be a feature. So if someone was saying, oh, I accidentally deleted my class, can you have a button which you know, checks you know, this kind of thing? So anything. Um, and then also, if there's anything that anybody wants, then they can request it because I'm in the stage of building content. We've currently just got waves, half of radioactivity, and then uh, a selection of um, worksheets from other topics. Brilliant. Do you think that the COVID crisis has effectively given it a boost? Do you think people will be looking? I know people are looking at a lot more online assessment models now. Is this a real boost for you? There's a noticeable uh, increase in appetite for online tools, which has definitely helped. And while in lockdown, one of the things the teachers were really liking about it is 
they could see in real time what pupils were typing to each answer. Uh, and it's being marked question by question in real time. So this view they had isn't just matching what they got in a classroom. It was even better. Um, but it was something that was hard to get by, um, in especially when you're remote from pupils. Okay, so that's a feature I hadn't appreciated that what, you can set this in the class and the teacher can sit there in, in real time and see what the kids are typing? Yes, yes. So the, very early on in the trial, I um, was teaching at the, the school I used to be full-time at and we just got a laptop trolley, everybody on it, they're all working. I can see on the screen, as a teacher, you can see on the screen, um, like a kind of traditional mark book, names down one side, questions along the top. And it automatically populates with a heat map showing uh, how whether the people are struggling on certain questions. So then as a teacher, I go, oh, this person's struggling. And I can tell that like this. You know, everyone's answered question one except for these two people. I just go straight over to them. Hands aren't going in the air asking for help because that first sort of triaging of helping with basic problems is done by the software. By no means is it replacing a teacher it's just cutting out that really repetitive help that you often find yourself giving kids either written or in class. Oh, you're stuck on this as well. Oh, you're stuck on this as well. You know, this kind of thing. Fantastic. Mm. I'm definitely going to have to have a go at this. It would have been great if I'd been teaching waves in lockdown this time, but I was not. I was doing, I was doing particles and, uh, and uh, rotational dynamics. So unless you've got those, I, I, I may have to wait a bit. Yeah, so it's, I've focused on GCSE to begin with. It's also the case, though, that the more people sign up, the more people get into this, the quicker it's going to develop, right? So I guess that the more people are involved, the more feedback, for want of a better word, you get on the AI, so the quicker you can improve it. Yeah. So it's a real call to action here. What's that website yeah. again? Uh, MyMarkingMachine.com So, Mark, what, what's the intention with this? Once you've got this perfect, are you going to sell it to Facebook and become a multi-billionaire? Um, my motivation comes from um, a frustration with the, the workload as a physics teacher, which I understand to be a significant factor in teachers leaving the profession. I don't think I'm unusual in working over 60 hours a week regularly. And the other frustration is that there are pupils on both ends of the, uh, the spectrum not getting the level of attention that if given, could in, uh, allow them to improve much faster. And so my intention is for this to be free for teachers and schools and for pupils. Obviously, in order for it to be financially sustainable, that has to be an income from somewhere and I, I need an income in order to, to maintain it. So the plan is to have a freemium model where there are some features. So for example, past paper practice, past paper training, which I view as less critical to, um, in comparison to understanding. And then also to license it to other paying platforms. So as I said, I, I don't think there are many platforms out there which can do this. Uh, and once I've built it, it's easy for me to say, oh, you know, Seneca, if you want to have some free text marking, have them, but you're going to have to pay. The thing is, Thomas's question there is a bit disingenuous because, you know, let's face it, if you're going to program in AI now, of course, you know, where do you go? You go where the big bucks are in education, yeah. right? Because that's where the big money is. We all know that. In the world today, the big money, it's in education. Teaching no. physics. Uh, 
Yeah, teaching physics, that's where the pounds are. Yeah, we know that. That's why, you know, here on the podcast, both of us are driving, uh, you know, our, our Bentleys around now, right? <laughs> but uh, that's, the, that's the power of, of not having any images on this anyway. But uh, no, it sounds like it's such a fantastic project. And, and Mark, you, you, first of all, I mean, I, I'm in awe of the dedication that's got you this far. It's just fantastic. And I, you're absolutely right. That this, it's one of the things that I think is a constant source of frustration to me is that, that people don't recognize the basic economics of teaching, that it's a time-limited resource uh, that you have to use, and it's scarce. There's not enough of it to go around, and so therefore you have to apply some sort of principle of that scarcity at some point. And people just don't. They just assume, oh, yeah, well, the teacher should just do more there. Uh, and that it's just a broken model because that can't happen. I mean, as you say, teachers are working to capacity most of the time. So if you just introduce extra workload on top, something else is going to give and or your teacher's going to break. Uh, and so it's, it's fantastic to see you addressing it. Yeah, I think I, I've got an engineering background and I like seeing what fundamental limits are. And the fundamental limit in physics education is the number of man hours of physics teacher expertise there are. And there is there are so much higher demand for the number of hours of this than can be given worldwide. And the result of that will be a, a generation on generation decrease in physics understanding. And the only way I see of addressing that is by inputting essentially some artificial expertise both to assist the uh, pupils directly and also to increase the power of the teachers. Yes, and it's, it's not replacing the teacher. It's just, as you say, doing, filling a shortfall with technology, which is a, a well-trodden path in, in Western society. And should, we shouldn't be scared of it. It's great. So, Mark, before we go, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about uh, My Marking Machine? Yes. So I'm working with a couple of IOP coaches to put on uh, a session covering something similar to this uh, podcast. So it's called GCSE Waves, Problem Solving, Thinking Like a Physicist and Using Online Marking Tools. And it includes a interactive demo using my marking machine. So that might be an easy way in to try it out and learn some other teaching skills while you're there. And that is on the 24th of March. And you'll find information if you go to their website. And we'll put it in the show notes too. Yes. Mark, I take my hat off. It's an extraordinary achievement what you've created. And I wish you the very best of luck with it as the numbers increase. I hope that there isn't an exponential increase in the workload for you. Hopefully you've broken the back of it and it's now a, a process of getting the, the, the questions to work. So, Mark, I just can't thank you enough. Thank you so much for what you've given to the profession and thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. It's been great. A pleasure. And thank you very much, Robin. Thanks, Thomas. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Physics Teaching Podcast. And special thanks this week to Mark Robinson. The podcast is presented by me, Thomas WP, and Robin Griffiths, and produced and edited by me, Thomas WP, with Robin doing the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll speak to you next week.